Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Turning in God's Word to the letter to the Galatians. If you've uh, got a Bible, Galatians is in the New Testament between 2 Corinthians and Ephesians. This epistle that Paul wrote to the churches that he founded in Galatia, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. Paul uh, was an apostle, and in that regard, he was unique. We no longer have apostles. But Paul was also a pastor. And in, this, uh, in these verses that I'm going to read, we get a description of what the relationship is supposed to be like between a pastor and a congregation. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how God works, that in his providential kindness, he has us going through Galatians uh, as we're thinking about and praying about uh, next senior pastor here. And um, he has this encouragement for us this morning as we're doing that. So let's give our attention and see what the Lord has for us. If you're willing and able, would you stand? Galatians chapter four, starting at verse 12. Hear God's word for you. Brothers, I entreat you, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Every bit of it is true, and it's given to us because God loves us. You may be seated, please. Jim Baker. Ted Haggard, Bill Hybels, Brian Houston, Carl Lentz, Mark Driscoll, Tullian Chivijan, Ravi Zacharias. Odds are you've heard at least one of these names before. 
Um, they are some of the most famous pastors who have fallen due to scandal or abusive leadership in the last two decades. And there are countless other pastors whose names none of us would know, who have injured their churches and families through their spiritual unhealth. Trust in pastors is at an historic low. Uh, Every year, Gallup polls Americans on their trust in the ethics and honesty of different um, professions. Uh, This graph shows the percentage of people who highly ranked pastors in their ethics and honesty. And that you can see over a 21-year period from 2001 to 2022, it has dropped precipitously from 64% down to 34%. Um, Just, by the way, just an interesting side note, the, the most trusted profession for ethics and honesty, according to their polling, is nurses. Nurses. The least trusted profession? Telemarketers. <laughs> yeah. A, uh, a seminary professor, he's teaching a room full of aspiring young pastors. He said to them, I know that you think that you're going out into the church to save the church, but it's my job to save the church from you. Let's be honest, a pastor can do great harm to a congregation. A pastor is supposed to be a shepherd, and that's what the word pastor means, but sometimes the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is like what God said to the prophet Ezekiel, He said uh, in Ezekiel, uh, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. But we have to be equally honest in saying that this unhealth in the relationship can go the other way as well. Congregations can also wound pastors. The most well-intentioned shepherds quickly discover that the sheep bite. There are churches that have the reputation of being clergy sawmills, chewing up and spitting out pastors one after the other. There was a church in a uh, big, important city that hired a pastor with a growing name. They wanted him to uh, write books and uh, be on social media and speak at conferences in order to raise the profile of the church so that they could resource their ministries. And so he went about doing that very thing. Uh, He became somewhat of a celebrity and he started to believe his own press And the truth was, he was not the easiest person to work with. And after some years, people in the church began complaining, you're never around for us. You care more about your online followers than you do about your in-person followers. Uh, We don't know you, you're not our shepherd, and they demanded his resignation. So who's to blame in that situation? The church or the pastor? 
And the answer is both. Right? An unhealthy relationship between a pastor and a congregation is a true tragedy. But when the relationship between a pastor and a congregation is healthy, oh man, it's a thing of glory. Right? It's, it's uh, life-giving, God-honoring, family-blessing, community-transforming. It's what the Apostle Paul was fighting for in Galatians, that when the gospel is operating in both the shepherd and the sheep, the conditions are ripe for genuine revival. So what does a healthy relationship between a pastor and a congregation look like? How would you recognize it? And let me say in preaching on this that I, I genuinely believe that the relationship between the pastors here and between you all is healthy. I believe that. But like any good relationship, right, it doesn't stay healthy without being intentional. Right? It takes effort. It takes work. It, it, uh, we must regularly remember and reaffirm and recommit to what Paul describes here in these verses, in verses 12 through 20 of Galatians 4. Uh, I'm, I'm utterly convinced that Paul was a Presbyterian because in these verses, he gives three main points. Okay, first, a healthy relationship between the pastor and the congregation is defined by mutual gospel affection. Okay. Mutual gospel affection. In verse 12, Paul calls the Galatians brothers or brothers and sisters. Uh, in verse 19, he calls them my little children. And in verse 20, he says, I wish that I could be present with you. Do you hear Paul's pastoral heart? Do you hear his affection for the Galatians? How did this affection come to be? Uh, look again at verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, because I became as you are. When Paul says, become as I am, that's really his shorthand way of saying what he said throughout the whole letter of Galatians. Um, I want you to experience the gospel as I've experienced it. Right? I want you to be free as I am free. I want you to know the love of Jesus as I've known it. Remember, Paul was deeply concerned that the Galatians were straying into a works-based religion because of the influence of false teachers he didn't want his spiritual children to be deceived and drawn away from Christ. I, I saw this illustration um, a week or two ago. It really helped you understand what Paul was so passionate about, right? If you, think, if you see this line and um, you think of every, everything on the negative side, right, all the negative numbers as unrighteousness, right? And let's, uh, let's say that negative 10, you know, is like the devil, and uh, where would you put, you know, um, uh, Hitler and Mussolini and, and, and where, where would you put yourself on that side of the line? Because none of us is righteous, the Bible says, right? We're all negative. But you might, put, you might say, well, you know, here I, here I am. Uh, and so be, becoming a Christian, we all say, is, is coming to Christ and asking for him to forgive our sins, right? And so many of us think that 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 Christianity is Jesus forgives our sins, he cleanses us from our unrighteousness, and he takes us from wherever we are on that negative side, and he brings us to zero, 
right? And so now we're neutral. Now we're, now we're ready to serve him. Now we begin to get to work. And we begin to build up a righteousness through our good works so that maybe one day God will fully accept us. But that's not the gospel that Paul was fighting for. Paul says it's not just that when you become a Christian, you move from the negative side to zero. It's that, no, if you look at the positive side, that's the side of righteousness. And, uh, and, and you'd think, okay, well, maybe Mother Teresa is like a three, and, um, you know, um, like Mr. Rogers is like a seven. And so, but there was only one ten. Right, Jesus Christ, the perfectly righteous one in everything he ever did, thought, his whole life. The gospel says that not only does God forgive you of your unrighteousness, cleanse you of that, but he now gives you the righteousness of Christ. He takes you all the way to 10. So that when God looks at you, he sees you as if he sees his own son. That's what Paul is fighting for. That's the thing he says will change your life when you get this, right? That, that it's not about now trying to earn a righteousness once you've been saved, but that you have the full righteousness of Christ credited to you. This is the gospel that Paul was so passionate about, that he was entreating these Galatians to believe. This is what he wanted them to embrace when he said, become as I am. It's what every gospel pastor wants, right? I want you to experience this beautiful gospel. But Paul's plea, you know, Paul was not just giving this plea as, say, an itinerant pastor who's moving through town and uh, doesn't know the people that he's preaching to. Um, No, Paul says, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Another translation is, put yourself in my shoes because I put myself in your shoes. Paul lived with, ate with, played with, prayed with, talked with, walked with the Galatians. He did not preach at them from a distance, but he shepherded them as one of them. Paul reminds them of their mutual history that they shared when uh, he writes, he says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Apparently, It was not Paul's original plan to stop in Galatia and minister and found churches there. But through a sickness, God providentially changed Paul's plans. And this is just an aside, but someone here needs to hear this this morning. God's plans for your life are always better than your plans for your life. God's plans for your life are always better than your plans for your life. So don't be tempted to think that when you experience some kind of suffering, that it's because you somehow slipped past God's radar. There are things that can only be learned through suffering. There are jobs that can only be done because of suffering. I I read this in an article recently. Um, Christians' lives would be Less complicated, less painful, more under our control, and safer if Christ had not cared for us by commandeering us for his mission. But they wouldn't be the lives intended for us by God. Woundedness is the predictable price we pay 
for being sent on outrageous assignments by Jesus. And Paul was sent on one of those outrageous assignments by Jesus. And how did the Galatians respond to his woundedness? Look again at verses 14 and 15. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness, this joy in which you first received me? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Some people think that Paul's ailment that he's talking about here um, had something to do with his eyesight because he says, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So maybe Paul had something going on with his eyes. Whether that's the case or not, this statement is at least an expression of extravagant devotion because the eyes were considered to be the most precious part of the body, right? In a sense saying, you would have done anything for me. There was a mutual gospel affection between Paul and the Galatians. He loved them and they loved him because they had been in the trenches of real life together, right? They had walked together. Paul said a very similar thing to the Thessalonians, another church that he had founded and loved. He said, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is how the relationship between a pastor and a congregation should be. We, sh- we laugh together, we cry together, we raise our kids together, we go through hurricanes together, we follow Jesus together. And in saying all of this, I, I, I want to recognize a reality. I want to be honest with you and recognize a reality. Seven Rivers is a big church. There are 1,500 of you. There are five of us. Um, as your pastors, we love you. We enjoy you. Our heart is to do life with you. But you see the challenge. Right? Um, small churches have advantages, and large churches have advantages. One is not better than the other. They are different. Both are needed in the kingdom of God. But I, I want you to know that we recognize the sacrifice that you make in this area, um, to be a part of this congregation. You know, being in this congregation means you might not have as much access to your pastors as you would have in other places. Um, but here's, here's what we say. At Seven Rivers, pastoral care is done primarily through small groups. You must be connected to community. I can't tell you, you know, how many times I, um, I, I go to call somebody, reach out to somebody who's been suffering through something, and the first thing you say is, um, my small group's been taking care of me. Right? They, uh, they, they were there for me at the hospital. Uh, they've been bringing me meals. Um, that's the way it should be. Um, five pastors in a big church can only do so much. Realize, too, even one pastor in a small church can only do so much. 
Um, Joseph Cook says, um, perhaps no one in our society lives in such a goldfish bowl as the pastor. He has to be a nearly perfect Christian, and everyone has his opinion of what a perfect Christian should be. In his private life, he has to be the perfect husband and father, yet no one allows him the time that being a perfect husband and father demands. Then in his professional life, he has to exercise a greater variety of gifts than God ever gave to a single person. He has to be good at visitation, counseling, administration, community leadership, and the like. But at the same time, he has to be willing to do a lot of the church dirty work, and he has to attend all the various committee meetings of the church. Then, after we forced him to spend 40 to 50 hours a week on these things, we still expect good, thought-provoking sermons of him every Sunday morning. You know, that being said, in a healthy relationship between the pastor and the congregation, there is a mutual gospel affection that comes from doing life together. So I would say this, if you feel somehow disconnected from us as pastors, if, you, um, if you're like, man, I wish I knew my pastor better, just reach out to us. Give us a call. We love you. We'd love to do life with you. We must constantly be working on our relationship for the glory of God and for our mutual good. And that leads to the second thing that we see in this passage, and that is a healthy relationship between the pastor and the congregation is also defined by telling the truth. Telling the truth. Paul asks the Galatians a very simple and yet very profound question. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? A pastor is not a pastor if he does not tell the congregation the truth. And telling the truth is hard. Telling the truth is dangerous. It takes courage. John the Baptist was beheaded for telling Herod the truth. Martin Luther said that the sermon is like a surgeon's scalpel. Um, William Willimon is a bishop in the uh, Methodist church. And, uh, and as bishop one time, he was overseeing, uh, in charge of overseeing Methodist churches in Alabama. And he noticed that a high percentage of his clergy had forsaken the role of being preachers of the truth and instead had solely dedicated themselves to being pastoral caregivers. Um, you know, hand holders, uh, ambulance chasers, uh, empathetic, you know, uh, and, and he asked um, one lay leader one time, um, what kind of pastor do you see for your next pastor? And the lay person responded, our pastor now is just one of the kindest, most caring men I have ever met. And, and, and he said, yeah, I've, I hear that about him. And the lay person said, bishop, Unfortunately, that's just not good enough for our church. You're gonna have to find, Bishop, a a pastor that's got gifts for telling hard truths to people who don't wanna hear it. Paul had not been afraid to tell the Galatians the truth. Um, Remember early in the letter what things he had said, right? He said, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than the one I preach, let him be anathema, let him be accursed, let him go to hell. Uh, twice in chapter three, he calls the Galatians fools, foolish Galatians. Pastors and congregations 
they fall into ill health when the truth of the gospel is lost. Stanley Hauerwas writes, he says, many congregations are a conspiracy of niceness, a community that lives under a covenant that says, I promise never to tell you the truth about you if you will do the same for me. You know, truth-telling is essential, and truth-telling can be done in a non-gospel way. Truth-telling can be done in a non-gospel way. Just go on Twitter. Um, But Paul shows us how to tell the truth in a gospel way. First, we're to speak the truth in love. Uh, He says that in Ephesians, to speak the truth in love. And that was really the first point, right? Uh, That truth without mutual affection is just preaching at people. A person is most likely to receive the truth if you have first received them. But second, how do the pastor and the congregation tell the truth? They tell the truth by admitting their weakness. Right? They tell the truth through weakness. The reason why trust in pastors is historically low, the reason why people are hesitant to come to church is because many Christians are unwilling to be honest about their need for Jesus. To be honest that they don't have it all together. That they're not strong, that they're weak. Tradition says that Paul was short, fat, bald, had a crooked nose, and a speech impediment. A preacher with a speech impediment. Um, He was constantly plagued by ill health, persecuted, and suffered calamities. But God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. To which Paul responded, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What a contrast Paul was to the good-looking, eloquent super-apostles. He had something they didn't. He had the truth. He had the truth expressed through weakness. You know, one of the... um, the, person on our team that um, teaches us all, shows us all how to do this is, is uh, Pastor Adam Jones. Um, he was speaking at uh, a parenting conference we had a couple weeks ago, and um, he basically, his message um, consisted of him basically confessing to us all of his parenting failures and sins, and there was a lot of them, because he's older than the other two of us that were speaking, and uh, and I was like, wow, man, you really failed as a parent. <laughs> and uh, and do you know what it did to the room? It made everybody in the room go, oh, yeah, me too. Maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for my kids. Because it was the truth, the power of the truth, through weakness. No relationship is healthy without the truth. The truth expressed in love and the truth expressed through weakness. And then third and finally, we see in this text that for the pastor and the congregation to have a healthy relationship, the goal must be formation over flattery. Right, formation over flattery. Look again at what Paul says starting in verse 17. He's speaking about the false teachers here. He says, They make much of you 
but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. These false teachers were flattering the Galatians. Right? Um, the definition of flattery is excessive and insincere praise given especially to um, further one's own interests. Excessive, insincere praise given to further one's own interests. Paul says, they make much of you so that you will make much of them. The goal of the false teachers was to make fans. They wanted followers who were emotionally dependent on them. Paul was saying, become like me. The false teachers were just saying, like me, right? Like me. Be one of my fans. Um, Even in the first century, they had Christian celebrities. Um, Paul says that in a healthy relationship, the pastor and the congregation aim not for, over, uh, for formation over flattery, right? They aim for formation. Paul does something um, rather surprising. Uh, maybe it was because Paul wasn't married, and so he never learned. Like, this is like rule number 36 in the rule book. You never, ever, ever, as a man, compare something you go through to childbirth, right? <laughs> you don't do that, Right? Um, But that's what he does. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Because that's what pastoring is like. Moms, you know this, right? You know that your labor doesn't end when your baby is born. That you are in labor, you are in anguish over the formation of your child your whole life, right? As their whole, their whole life. Um, Paul says, this is my lifelong labor, to see Christ formed in his people. Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is the aim. The adoration of Christ by his people. The formation of Christ in his people. So when you leave here this morning, will you say... What a great service. Or will you say, what a great savior? Will you say, what a great sermon? Or what a great gospel? I remember asking um, James Forsyth, he was our summer conference speaker. He has just recently become the senior pastor at a a big church up in um, Knoxville and and I asked him, What's, what was that like? Uh, I mean, are, have you nervous? You, um, what have you been going through? Have you, how's it gone? And, and he said, Brandon, I'm number 44. This church is almost as old as the country. There were 43 pastors before me. There will be 43 pastors after me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, right? Um, Nicholas, Nikolaus Ludwig von Zinzendorf. How come we don't name our kids like that anymore? (laughs) 
Nicolaus Ludwig von Zinzendorf was a German reformer. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's the aim of all of our lives, should be. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. It's interesting that uh, Paul noticed in these Galatians, thinking about their spiritual formation, that he said, um, he, he recognizes that they acted one way when he was with them, and they acted a different way when he wasn't with them. And we know how true that is of us, right? How, how um, we can say and do things, um, the things we say and do when no one's watching versus what we say and do when another Christian is around or when the pastor is around. But Christ being formed in us means our private selves and our public selves start to overlap. We begin to become whole, integrated. Yesterday I got to um, uh, spend time with a guy um, whose name in some Christian circles is really well known. And uh, he's written books and spoken at conferences um, when I was younger, I used to think, man, wouldn't it be cool to one day be known by this guy? That would be so cool. Uh, and as I sat across the table from him at Cattle Dogs, do you know what I noticed about him? It's the strangest thing. He had hearing aids. That's what I noticed about him, which makes him normal. <laughs> He's just a normal old guy. <laughs> And praise the Lord, he is just as sincere and godly in person as he is in his books and on stage. And we talked about Jesus over a cup of coffee. And we slowly both are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Formation over flattery. So as we think and pray and hope about our future as a church? Can we recommit ourselves to, in our relationship between the pastors and the congregation, to love one another with a gospel affection? Can we recommit ourselves to being a place of telling the truth? The truth in love and the truth through weakness? And can we aim not for great preachers or for a great church, but can we aim for Jesus, that he might be shaped and formed in us, that his glory might be the thing that we make much of? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and how it hits us right where we are. And Lord, we pray that these things would be true of us and it will only be true of us if your Holy Spirit works in us and works these um, great truths deep down into our hearts. Would you do that for our good, for your glory, for your praise? We pray in Christ's name, amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.